This sermon was recorded at the Midtown Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Today's scripture reading is going to be from the book of Galatians, chapter 4, and we will start in verse 4. That's Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. It can be found on page 974 of the Bibles in the pew back in front of you. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Well, Merry Christmas. Let's pray. At the fullness of time you came. We might come into this room with questions about, God, what are you doing? Do you see me? Do you see that? Do you see what's going on in our world? And wonder, like, where is our God? And what Christmas does is it confronts us with this reality. You care. You move toward us. If, if any of those questions are resting in us, Christmas confronts and says, you are doing something. You are moving, you are working, whether we see it or not. And you wrap yourself in flesh and come to earth, not as a worrying king, but as a child. Humble, uh, meek, Sacrificing, emptying, serving, giving. <laughs> we glory you this morning because you didn't look at what's going on and turn. You didn't walk away. You moved toward at great cost to yourself. God, we glory you this morning because of your coming at Christmas. We love you. God, I pray that we would make room for you this morning in our hearts to worship you this morning. I pray in your name, amen. All right. <clears throat> so, uh, hey, kids. We got a lot of kids in the room, right? Can I hear you? Are you guys in the room? All right. Hey, what was it like waiting weeks and weeks and maybe a month waiting to open up your presents? Like seeing them nestled underneath that tree and you couldn't open them up, you had to wait for Christmas? What was that like? Did you open up your presents last night or this morning before church? This morning before church? Anyone else? Did you grab the presents and shake them, try to figure out what was in them beforehand? My kids crawled underneath the tree. At one point, they almost tipped over our tree. They were fully into the presents. Uh, Hey, like take, go back a little bit and think about when you were a child and the anticipation and all the like, 
you know, the, the buildup to Christmas morning and you just like, it feels like it's taking forever. For us as an adult, it feels like it just comes, like it's, you, can't, you can't keep pace. But when you're a child, the anticipation builds and then all of a sudden it's Christmas morning. It came, fulfillment and pleasure evermore, right? Our passage this morning reads, when the fullness of time had come, the Christmas season, the Christmas story is all about anticipation and fulfillment. It's what this season is all about. It's like the, the Christmas movies that you've been watching all season long with Ralphie running down the stairs. You're hoping he opens up the present and finds the Red Rider BB gun, right? It's the Grinch's heart growing three sizes larger. It's uh, Clark, at the last moment, just in time, gets the Christmas bonus to put in the in-ground pool, right? It's uh, Buddy, singing loud for all to hear the Christmas cheer. It's uh, George Bailey, finally coming to the realization that he actually like, does have a wonderful life. Why do we uh, watch these Christmas movies over and over and over? Why do we sing these Christmas carols over and over and these Christmas commercials and these Christmas sayings and all of these things all pointed in the same direction, all saying the same sorts of things? Why do we do that? Because they touch something that's real in us something real in our hearts. They pull out these heart strings that we have for fulfillment, for redemption, for joy. And last night at our Christmas Eve service, we read through the narrative of Jesus at Christmas and it's true and it's history. But what I really care about is I wanna know how does Jesus coming at Christmas actually deliver on me experiencing real fulfillment and joy? Like, how does it actually deliver on the promise? When I'm reading scriptures or I'm knee-deep in theology books, I'm always wanting to know how this truth actually affects my life. Does it affect me today? Is it gonna affect me in the future? Is it gonna affect me in eternity? If I can't see a connection, I lose interest. I want to see a connection there between the things that are true of God that affect my experience of joy and satisfaction. If you see it, you've got my attention. Well, the point of the angel's announcement in Luke 2 is to make that connection. In Luke 2, we see the angels announce Jesus coming by saying, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Good news for your joy for all people. So Jesus coming at Christmas is supposed to deliver on your joy. How? This morning, I want us to focus our attention on seeing what the good news of Jesus is in Christmas and how it fulfills our joy. And we'll hit uh, the good news kind of at a clip and we'll kind of camp out on the joy a little bit. So turn, uh, open your Bibles if you've closed them. Look at verse four. Galatians four, verse four. Here's the good news. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. When the fullness of time had come, when all the preparations had been made, when finally everything that had to be done beforehand had been finished, when it finally came, the date that was set in the heart of God since before the creation, then Jesus was sent by the Father. Think of all the faithful people in the Old Testament, the asking and plotting and praying and waiting, many wondering, is God moving? Is he acting? Does he see us? 
Many thinking that God had forgotten them. Think of the 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. People asking, has God forgotten us? Does he see us? Is he moving? Maybe you feel that way this morning. You're asking, has God forgotten me? He came. In the fullness of time, he came. This means that this was God's plan A. This was God's plan A. This is not a contingency plan for God. This is the best possible plan. Every story in the Old Testament is a story of God meticulously carrying out this plan that would reach a climax with Jesus. At the fullness of time he came, the Father sent Jesus, born as a baby like us, in the flesh like us, living under the law like us, but doing so perfectly unlike us. Verse five, to redeem those who are under the law. Why is it necessary for him to live under the law perfectly? Because it says he was going to redeem. Redeem is like this legal transactional term, like a like a kind of legal transaction happened. So because Jesus was God and lived perfect, lived a perfectly uh, perfect life, sinless life, when Jesus died, he redeemed or he paid or made a transaction for our penalty of sin. You see, the father placed our sins on Jesus so that a redemption price was paid to free us from slavery to sin and slavery to death from slavery to always failing and always failing and always failing and always failing to live up to the law perfectly. I mean, you can't even live up to your own standard for what you want to do, right? These, these ideas of what you want to do in 2023, you'll fail at those too. We couldn't even live up to our own, let alone the law of God. So the text goes on, verse five, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Why did he purchase us? Why, why did he do this transaction? He redeemed those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now the effect of that legal transaction or the redemption or the price that was paid or the exchanging of Jesus's perfect law keeping was that God now legally possesses a people for himself. That was the goal, to possess us. He has brought, he has bought these people fair and square. They are legally his children. He's adopted them. He's paid the necessary price for them. They are sons of God. So here's the good news of Christmas. The good news of Christmas is that at the predestined perfect time, Jesus came in the flesh, the incarnation. He came at Christmas to live perfectly for our redemption, which was necessary to exchange his perfect life for our sinful life. This legal transaction happened on the cross securing what? Our adoption. He has purchased us. He has brought us into his family and he now calls us sons and daughters. That's the good news. That's the good news. All right, that was, like, that was a lot to take in, right? That was a, a lot at a clip. But those are the huge truths about what Jesus came to do at Christmas. But let me point something out to you. We've just clipped a bunch of big theological truths that are true, that Jesus was about doing at Christmas. Let me point something out to you. Up until this point, everything that's happened has happened outside of us. It's happened beside us. You, you didn't ask for God to come in this way. You didn't, you didn't garner God's attention for him to come in this way. You didn't earn this redemption. You weren't good enough. You didn't win him over for him to do any of this stuff. He did this 
despite you. He did this outside of you. Up until this point, everything has happened outside of you. Everything that we've talked about to this point is historical good news. So how does this affect us? What change does this bring to your experience? The angel says, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Now, we might just assume that the angel's saying, I'm bringing you good news of really, really good news and great joyful kinds of news. But that's not what he's saying. That's not what he said. He's saying, I'm bringing you good news about something that's going to bring you an experience of exceeding joy. That's what he's saying. He's like, this news is going to change your life. When I see the connection between things like this that are true about God and what Jesus is doing and it's promising to change my experience of God, I'm paying attention. So what's the next verse say in our passage? Up until now, it's all been about what God's been doing separate from us, outside of us. But now in verse six, we see something going on inside of us. Here's something that isn't happening outside of us. Here's something happening in the heart. Here's something about experiencing the reality of what he's done. Look at verse six. And because you are sons, because God has purchased you, because he's done all of that work, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The good news is that God has purchased you as an adopted son of God. The great joy is that you even get to be treated like a son of God. You're not just purchased and brought into the family. God's going to treat you like a son. That's it, man. You are not a transaction to God. You are not treated like a slave. You're not treated like a burden. You are an adopted son of God, so you're going to be treated like a son. Jesus came at Christmas so that you can have this joy-filled experience relating to God as a son. That's why he came. And this word crying, crying Abba Father, this doesn't mean lament. I mean, like in English, we use that a lot, right? Like lament or sad, or it means something like that. That's not the meaning here. This is a cry of joy, unspeakable joy. This word cries the same word that's used in Matthew 21, 15, when the children cry, Hosanna to the son of David. They're crying that. They're not weeping it. They're crying, Hosanna, Father, Abba. I'm a child of God. They're exuberant about it. They're joy-filled over that reality. When the Spirit of God opens your heart to the beauty of what Jesus did, then your only response is to cry out like that. Your only response is to cry out that I'm a son of God, crying out to your heavenly Father. Now, I imagine most of us in the room then hearing that will go, man, when have I ever cried out like that? Like, have I ever cried out like that? Am I a son of God? A few verses before our passage, it says, you are all sons of God through faith. So let me ask you a question. When you heard me earlier saying that God before creation, he loved you and he made a plan to rescue you, that he sent Jesus because Jesus didn't count equality with God. He actually humbled and emptied himself and came as a man to deal with your greatest problem, which is sin. 
which would lead you to death. He took on death himself so that you could be welcomed into his family and actually be an adopted son. When you hear this, what do you have to say to that? What's your reaction? When you hear this, how do you respond? Every year you hear this story. Every year you hear this narrative. Every year you hear this same thing retold to you. Is it just nice? Like, does it excite you? It's perhaps true, but does it do something to your insides? Does it excite you? Or do you hear it and something within you like wells up? You're like, yes, it's true. I love it. I bank my life on it. I, I want to be close to God like that because Jesus came at Christmas so that the spirit would open up your heart to see your utter need for him that you would see your need for him, that you would see what he's done as your only hope, that you would see it as beautiful and to receive him by faith as a son of God. So you could have great joy in saying, Abba, Father. That's why he came. So you could have joy crying out, Abba, Father. Now that word Abba, uh, Abba is the Aramaic word for father. So Paul chooses this Aramaic word for father. But why would he do that? Paul's writing this letter in Greek. Why does Paul translate this Aramaic? Why doesn't he just translate this Aramaic word into Greek? Instead, he transliterates it, which means he takes the sound of this Aramaic word and puts it in Greek. Why does he do that? Well, Jesus spoke in Aramaic. Paul does this to make it clear to us that we now, because of Jesus's work, are now being drawn into the very experience of Jesus, the Son of God. We are being drawn into the very relationship that Jesus has with the Father. The Son of God called his Father Abba, and we now, because of Jesus, have joy and satisfaction that is ours because of the work of the Spirit in our life, creating us the very experience of the Son of God toward his Father. We get to take part in that. We get to experience that. Jesus came at Christmas so that you could share in the very closeness that he has with the Father. So you could share in sensing the same closeness that he has with God. Unbelievable. Abba. How do you think they came up with that word? Like, how, how do you imagine they came up with that word, Abba? Hey, imagine with me a one-year-old, little Jewish one-year-old child crawling around at their father's feet, Right? a little one-year-old Jewish child crawling around on the floor around their father's feet. What does that child do to get their father's attention? Abba, 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 right? Hey, if you're a dad, you know that, right? What does your child call out to you when they want your attention? A little one, two-year-old child? Da, 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 da. It's the first words pretty much any kid says. Da, 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 Abba, 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 Abba crying out, dad, pick me up, pick me up. I want you. I want to be close to you. Dad, I want to be close to you. Isn't that the sound that little babies make when they want their dad? That's the picture here. That's the picture in view. It's intimacy with your father, with all of your messiness, 
all of your needs, all of your wants, all of your desires, the reality that your whole world is your dad and him coming in and swooping you up. That's the picture at play here. You get that with your heavenly father. Jesus came at Christmas so that you could have this kind of intimacy and reliance on your heavenly father. And I just love that in God's providence, uh, the last time we're gathered together as a church family in 2022 is this morning on Christmas morning. So I was reflecting on this passage, what, what I wanted to preach for this Sunday. Um, I was kind of astounded. Wow, we get to spend the last time together as a church family in 22 together on Christmas morning. What are you going to say about 2022 to kind of cap that year? What are we going to say about 2022 as a church to cap that? I wonder how many of us come into this, this Christmas season or this Christmas morning having been disappointed by your year. Perhaps you've experienced some kind of disappointment or loss. Maybe some like missed opportunities. Maybe there's a fractured relationship that comes to mind. What do you come in to Christmas this year? Like, maybe many of us are coming in going, I feel like I've got the equivalent of socks when I thought I deserved something else. What are you going to say about that? Like, how are we going to close out this year? How are you going to make sense of this year? What stamp will you put on this year? Maybe it's that Jesus has been persuading us this year to trust him as our heavenly father. Like maybe, maybe what he's been up to has been trying to persuade us. It's what he's been saying in the Sermon on the Mount, right? This last week we saw in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verse 30, Jesus says, if you follow me, come to me, trust me. God Almighty will be your all-providing father. And then he says, oh, you of little faith. Then he says, you annoy me, get away. No. He says, you're too much. I need a timeout. No. He says, you've asked too much. You keep asking and asking and it's too much. I can't deliver. No, no, no. He goes on and lists all the reasons that you can come to your father with all your worries, with all your needs, with all your mess, with all your sins, and he alone will provide all of, all of what you need. He says, come to me, come to me like children and I'll provide what you most need. You're worried about tomorrow. You're worried about 2023, what's gonna hold there. He says, I'll provide everything you need. You can relate to me like Jesus related to me. I'll provide everything you need. In other words, come to him like a son and he'll treat you as a son. I mean, I think that's the word to us as a church family. It's the reason why uh, we wanted to gather on this Sunday morning to remember that our only hope is in him. That's why we want to take communion as we close our time together in our service. And what's powerful about this meal is it, it's for anyone. It's for anyone who would call out to him. It's for anyone who would cry in their heart, Father. It's for anyone who would cry that. Have you ever wondered why Paul says Abba then Father? If Abba means Father, why is he repeating Father? That doesn't make any sense. It's because the Jews cried Abba, but the Greeks said Father or Pater. And he's saying, 
whether you're a Greek, whether you're a Gentile, whether you're something else, all are welcome to call me father. Everyone is welcome to the table. If you place your faith in Jesus, if you see him coming at Christmas, living the perfect life, dying the death that you deserve in order to bring you into relationship with the father, then you are welcome into his family and he'll call you a son and treat you as a son. If that's your hope, we welcome to come take communion this morning. It is our only hope. It is what we celebrate at Christmas. Let me pray for us and then we'll come and celebrate that together. So Father, in the fullness of time, you came. You are working. You are working now. Uh, our view is so limited. We look around and go, don't you care? Don't you care about that? Don't you care about this? And you said yes, and you came and met our deepest, our deepest needs. And you reoriented our relationship with you. So God, I pray right now that you would capture us with that vision, that vision of uh, coming to you needy as a child. God, would you help us there? And would we celebrate being needy in your arms? Would that not be something we despise, but actually something that we find hope in? And Father, for all those in the room who can't claim that, those who go, man, I've never, I've never cried that in my heart. I've never I've never seen Jesus that way. God, would you send your spirit into their heart and open their eyes to the beauty of what you've done? Would you open their eyes right now to the glory of your name and their need for you and give them eyes of faith that they would cry out for you even now? Amen. Hey, so if that isn't your cry, if that isn't your hope, we ask for you to stay in your seat um, there's no need to go through this uh, taking communion. However, if that is the cry of your heart this morning, then we welcome you to come and take communion.